We're going to be in Matthew 6, but in Matthew 5 it says, Love your enemies. Love you, Mitchell, very much. <laughs> no enemy here. I was just kind of kidding him a little bit about it. He, he knows my fondness for that song, and every time he's up here, he does it. And I'm going to be the bigger person and love him and love him and love him. But I got to tell you, as great as that song was, that other song where you ladies did the lead was beautiful. And thank you very much for that great song selection for the most part, Mitchell, and great service. By the way, I forgot one. This is a terrible oversight. How many in here are mothers for the first time on Mother's Day? This is your first time as a Mother's Day as a mother. Anybody? I know we've got some, but whether they're here or not, Yes, okay, there's one. We're going to get a rose to you uh, uh, this morning. So, in fact, uh, Granger, could you take a rose right here? It's right in that pew in front of me, and take it. Lift your arm, yeah. Real. This is something big. This is, her first Mother's Day is here at Valley View. Thank you very much. And Yeah, yeah, take it back there. Take it back. It's not, what do you want it for? Yeah, take it. Lift your hand real good so he can see you real quick. Yeah, yeah. Well, were you going to keep it? I mean, come on. I, it was a vast oversight. You got to take, that's a big, and somebody is not somebody's favorite mama. I think Tia just got taken out, right? I mean, she ain't getting nothing for Mother's Day. I can tell you what she did to her daughter. Anyway, so uh, thank you for being here, and your presence here is a blessing to us. It's been an encouragement to hear these extra voices and to just see these extra faces. It's been a blessing. Remember those of you who are in that uh, kind of, late college or out of college, you're singles, or maybe you've been married, but you, you don't have any children yet. we got this special class open. I'm just going to make a reference to that once uh, this morning and let you know that class is starting really, really soon, and we'll be doing some extracurricular stuff with those singles and those married without children because, because this, is a, this is a growing number of people at Valley View, and uh, they don't want to sit around and hear us talk about our kids all the time. So uh, they need a class kind of all their own, and we're going to try that. And so that's going to be starting up real soon and some stuff. So if you're in that age group, we're grateful. I also know, I believe a Valley View member was in, I've been told this, in the Jonesboro Sun today. Has anybody read anything about this? Anybody, when this happens, it's a big deal. We need to pay some attention. You don't know this, do you? Uh, I'm, I'm just going to have him explain it. I don't know any other way to do it. Could you tell us why you are in the Jonesboro Sun? And then he's going to kill me for this. He may be an ex-member. Why are you in the Jonesboro Sun today? Um, I'm on the Arkansas State Dental Board. And you were appointed by? The governor. Yeah. The governor. He's on the dental board. This is making him very uncomfortable, and I'm going to regret having done this. But go ahead and give him a hand. That's a pretty big honor, right? That's pretty something. And you know what? I'm going to brag that you're a member here. I'm going to go around and brag because that's a big deal. I think that's something. So thank you for that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. One verse. How long can a sermon be on just one verse, right? No one's going to dare answer that question. Beware. Is that your first verse in your version? Beware. Jesus says, Beware. When you came in the doors, I hope you saw the signs. Beware. On the doors out there, beware, which means be conscious. There are dangers lurking in your environment. Some places you go and it says, 
beware of the dog. Be very conscious there's a mean dog. Pay attention. You might go someplace. We went on vacation one time. Beware of snakes. There were poisonous snakes everywhere around these old buildings. And you just want to beware. There could be something slithering around your feet. It's kind of creepy. You don't go anywhere. It says beware of butterflies. Nobody does that. They can't do anything to you. But why would you need to beware when it comes to church? You're coming into a place with heat, air conditioning, padded pews, good, wonderful people who love you. Why would you need to to be aware? Why would you need to be cautious? What dangers are lurking here? That's kind of a weird thing, but Jesus, when he turns to this chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, says, beware. What dangers are here? We're in the presence of God with other fellow people. And our friends, why would there be any dangers here? Ah, Jesus says, beware, be careful, because I'm going to tell you, he says, there's something present in our environment that threatens to rob you of something. Women, guard your purses. Guys, check, the, check your back pocket. Your, your wallet's there. Well, something is threatening to rob you of something this morning, and you've got to be diligent, you've got to be careful, and you've got to be cautious to make sure it doesn't. That may sound like, oh, this sounds like, way, like you're way over extreme, but Jesus says beware. There's no reason to be cautious about it. There's no reason to be scared of this. There is reason to be cautious. There's reason to be diligent. But you don't need to be scared. You just need to be attentive. You need to be watching yourself and paying attention to what you're doing and why you're doing it. That's what Jesus says. Beware. And here's the first phrase. There's going to be three of these. Beware of practicing your righteousness. This means doing actions that are actions that righteous people do. There are physical actions that you engage in that actually exercise and nurture your spiritual walk with God. There are some actions Christians do that help them become more righteous. Physical actions that have spiritual significance. That's amazing. There really are these, and you're going to be engaging in some of them today, but I want to give you a couple things about this particular phrase. First of all, if you are a person who wants to be righteous, who wants to be like God, you will engage in these actions that God blesses and imports with spiritual significance. Notice what he says over this passage. When you give to the needy, not if. It's not a matter of, Christians don't debate, do I give or do I not give? That's not a discussion. That's not something that you talk, you don't think about that. It's not if, it's when. And then he says, be cautious when you pray. Not if you pray, not well, if you decide to pray, then you need, no. Christians who value righteousness, who are trying to become like God, they will pray. Because that prayer matters and they know it. And you know what else he says? When you fast, when, not if. You see, righteousness acts. Faith works. Godliness does something. If a person living a life of faith doesn't have something in their lives that's different from a person who doesn't have faith, something's wrong. There are actions that we have in our lives that people who are not believers don't. When we compare our lives to other people, some of these things is not like the others. Some of these things just do not belong, right? There should be some things in your life, some actions that aren't in everybody's life because you value righteousness. 
We will do these things. But I'll give you another thing about this is this. It's not, I'm going to be taking this passage out of context all morning. Now, if somebody does that, doesn't tell you about it, it's very subtle and tricky, that's bad. But when somebody strips the context of a passage and tells you they're doing it, it's okay. So I'm doing that this morning. Because of this, these are not acts of worship that we're doing right now in assembly. These acts of worship that he's talking about in Matthew 6 are not what we do here together collectively on a Sunday morning. This giving is not the same as our offering plate. This prayer is not the prayer that a leader does and you sit and listen to him. This fasting is not what we do in worship. You can't fast in worship. As soon as you take the Lord's Supper, you violated it. You got it, right? You take the Lord's Supper, no longer are you fasting because you just had a cracker. And you can tell if somebody's fasting when they take an extra big piece of cracker because they just happened to be hungry at the time. You can't do that in our assembly. Now, I'm going to apply it to the assembly, and it's okay to do that as long as I tell you I'm doing so. But here's what I want to warn you about in this passage. If you're counting on this corporate worship action to carry the entire burden of your righteous development, you are going to be spiritually deficient. If you think that everything that's necessary for righteous development happens while you're sitting on a pew and that's all you've got to do and you go home and you do your own thing the rest of the week and then you come back next Sunday and we do these things in this worship service and that's all the righteousness you have to do, you're sadly mistaken. Righteousness is how we live our daily lives. We're concerned with these actions. But there's a third point I want you to see in this too. These actions are given by God incredible power to change our lives. He doesn't ask us to do these activities. He doesn't give us these things just to have us go through the motions, and they don't really mean anything. They ju- it just pleases God. We got God off our back, and we leave. These are actually things that change us. And when, even in the worship service, when you, most people in the world make all their money, and they, they, their mouths water as they think about all the things they can get for it, all the things they'll do for it, and they're going to spend it all on them and their desires. But Christians look at this, and they, they see the heart of God, and they see the Word of God, and they say, you know, I've got to carve out some of this and give to others. And when you give a little bit of yours in that offering plate and it goes around, you are, you are putting off selfishness. You are actually holding greed at bay. You are saying to yourself, I'm not spending it all on me. I know I'd like to, and there are plans I have. It's going to take me a little longer to save up for this, but I must do something to carve out of my life a concern for other people. When you put in the offering plate, this act God blesses us with is for us. It's not for him. It's for us to offset selfishness and pride and when you struggle and sometimes you just decide you don't want to give selfishness is winning it's an incredible tool that actually when you let go of that check and put it in that plate it is setting you free from the love of money and greed and the love of this world and God gives us this as a gift to not let us be enslaved to selfish greed your heart is being reshaped by this act and that's not the only one that's what prayer is too 
Prayer is adopting God's point of view rather than our own. And I'm having this conversation with God. And I'm saying, God, I'd really like to do this, but I know what your will says. I'm going to yield to you. And in that posture of prayer and in the very act of praying, you are setting yourself free from the love of the world. And you're adopting and saying, God, I'm going to live out of your identity, not this world's. That's happening while you pray. And if you don't, you will win every time, and by winning every time, you're losing. And fasting, nobody does this. When you fast, you're allowing your spiritually informed mind to say to your body, I know, body, what you want. And I'm telling you, no, we're giving God what he wants instead. Yeah, it might be one meal or a day of meals or something like that. But what you're saying is, I know what my body wants. And this world is telling us, go with what your body wants. And spirituality is saying, tell your body no in order to say yes to the Holy Spirit in you. And by saying that and practicing that in the action of fasting, you are actually using a tool from God to harness your body's desires and live by the Spirit of God. That is happening while you fast. This is no simple little thing that you're trying to get God off your back. Acts of righteousness are infused by God with this incredible power to make you like him. He's given you tools for it. The question is, will God's people actually use them? Second phrase in this verse. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Now, the secret to this is do it as secretly as you can. The discipline of secrecy. As often as you can, practice works of righteousness in secret that nobody else knows. When you give, just give quietly. Nobody else needs to know. When you pray, pray in a closet. And bear your heart out to God, and don't worry about your audience. The only audience you have is God, is undivided attention, and you pray. And when you fast, don't tell anybody. And I don't see any reason why a person fasting needs to tell anybody. I have done this before some, and on the inside, I'm starving to death, thinking I'm really doing something for God. But on the outside, you can't tell the difference. Listen, I can miss several days of meals, and you will not notice. Thank you for not snickering. You can miss a lot of meals and grow hungry on the inside, and nobody on the outside knows. The only way these people knew is they made themselves look emaciated. They look like the, they just made themselves look miserable and just went around like this. I haven't eaten all day. You know, a lot of people haven't eaten all day, and they look fine. You're just trying to get attention. But I'm going to tell you something. Secrecy isn't always right. Sometimes your righteousness must be public, like right now. Your righteousness needs to be public. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Look back at the last chapter for a moment. And Jesus says this, You're to be salt and light. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. How can they see your good works if they're done in secret? How can people know that God is who motivated you to do this if they don't even know that you did it? There are times when you're supposed to be public with your worship and your good deeds. Let them show. And there's another one, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. 
Do not forsake this assembling. Today I'm grateful you're here. You are not forsaking the assembling. And one of the things you're doing is you're spurring each other on toward love and good works. You're trying to encourage each other. Stay in there and stay faithful and do the right thing for another week. How could we do this in secret? How could we have a secret worship service? Do we turn the lights out so you don't know who's praying? Do we put some prayer leader with a voice-altering app from his phone with a microphone in a closet somewhere so that you don't know whose voice it is and who's leading the prayer? Is that what we do? No! No, no, all this stuff we need to do here. Sometimes our righteousness must be done where others can see it. God wants it that way. That's how he has it put. But... This is crucial, and it's important for us to see each other worship. I remember when I first got here, and I would put the offering, our offering, the family offering, into the early service before my wife and kids were here. They don't come to both services. They come to, they come to the later service, and I would put it in the early service. And the second service, I wouldn't put anything in there. And, and Noah one time said, do we not give anymore? I got to thinking about that. Your kids need to see you giving. They don't need to see how much. I mean, we'll have to do a drum roll and say it's 100 bucks, son. No, you don't need to do that. But they need to see that you are giving. And I guess you can do that electronically. There's nothing wrong with those automatic deposit and doing all that stuff and setting it up. But I, even Jesus one time made an incredibly important point from watching the offering, didn't he? And my kids need to see me here, and you need to see me here, and there's no question of the public importance of what we're doing here. I need to see you, you need to see me, we need to encourage each other, and that can't be secret. That can't be secret. So neither one of these, whether it's the acts of righteousness that we do or the fact that we're doing in front of each other, neither one of those is problematic. None of those has anything to do with the beware warning. So where's the beware come in? What's the danger of this? That we're doing what God asked us to, to do. What is the danger then right now of this? And it comes with a third element of this verse. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to. That's a conjunctive phrase. In order to. Or later on it says so that. And there's two things that you see in this passage. One of them is doing it so that other people see and are impressed with them. And the other side does it in order to be seen only by the eyes of the Father. Those are the two different options you've got. And this is where the danger comes. We do need to do works of righteousness, and we need to do them in assembly and publicly like we are right now. But be very careful what you're doing them for. I don't know anybody who has this problem with the first century Jews like this that you're tempted in the middle of the makeup aisle at Walmart to stand up and give a sermon or do a prayer publicly and draw attention to yourself. Nobody in here is going to do that. That's not what our culture's into. But this problem is still here. This danger lurks even right now while you're sitting in your pew. What is the primary audience in your mind for what you're doing? It's Mother's Day, and some of you could have easily fallen prey to this. The only reason I'm going is to make Mama happy. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But if that's the only thing you're getting out of this, I'm sorry, I want more for you than this. I don't want that to be the only reason you're here. Maybe the only reason you're here is your mama made you or your dad made you. I want it to be more than that. Now, I'll take it. I'm going to tell you this. I'm glad you're here. I don't care why you're here. But I want something more for you. And what happens? What happens when the reason that you come and go through all this worship is to satisfy somebody else so they can see you or hear your wonderful voice or, or whatever? What is, what, what, what's wrong with that? There's two things he says. First of all, I want you to see this in verse 2 and verse 5 and verse 16. When you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. I'm going to tell you, and here's what the word means, they have been paid in full. Verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by other people. I'm telling you, they've been paid in full. You've got your receipt, now leave, and that's all you're going to be paid for this. When you come and you say, I'm going to check off that box, I'm going to make sure everybody's pleased that I'm there, and I've been there, and I'm going to sit through that long sermon by that preacher, and I'm going to listen to that stirring song again, and I'm going to come and I'm going to go through all that stuff the same as all, and I check my box, and I get up and I leave, that's all you got. You're done with it. That's what you're going to get. Congratulations. Here's your receipt. You can tell people you were there and they saw you and that's all you're going to get. And if that's all you want and your aspiration is nothing more than that, fine. You'll get that. I'm one who wants more than that. I'm not going to come just for that. Seeing you all is sweet, but you're peripheral, I have to tell you. I want something more than that out of this. The second thing that's going to happen is you're in danger of falling prey to what is called hypocrisy. Now, we often think of hypocrisy as you say one thing and do another. But in this case, it's different. In this case, you do things only because of what audience you have. And your audience ain't God. You're not here doing these things because God asked you to. You're not doing these things because God is present and because you want to become like God. You're doing these things because you want to be seen, and that's all your aspiration is, and that's a hypocrite. I'll give you an example. Blake and Julia back there have a friend they went to college with who was in the youth group at Kennett. Her parents asked her, her dad asked her to mow the yard one time. And she, he began to watch her. He looked out the window and he watched her. And she was just mowing just fine. I think she was listening to some music. She was mowing. Then she looked up and saw her dad watching her mow. I can't hardly stand. She acted like she was dying. What's the difference? She was doing just fine a minute ago, but now she's near death. So hot and it's so hard work. And I'm thinking, what's the difference? The difference is who's watching you. This is why reality TV is an oxymoron. Do you think that's real life that you're watching? If somebody comes into your house with camera crews and they're walking around the camera and they're filming you, ever, are you going to act like nobody's there? Come on, y'all. As soon as they break out a camera, y'all go nuts and leave. You vacate the premises. And everybody's got these cameras with these phones on them, these phones with these cameras on them. 
right? And the moment you break it out, and I know that this is being recorded for somebody else to see, I start acting different. And that's what happens in worship. When you start going, you know, um, I'll go, but who else is going? And you decide whether you're going to go based on who else is there. Can I tell you something? Every time you come to worship, God's here. And that's all that matters. But no, not for some of us. That makes you realize the audience is the issue. In this text, it is the same. This hypocrite, and by the way, the word hypocrite, Jesus made up this term from the stage. And these people who could act so well that everybody thought that really is who they are, they won the best hypocrite award at the Academy Awards. And everybody was vying for it. They wanted to convince you they played this role so well, and they're playing to you. They know who's watching, and they play to you. And you become this actor. I know this guy who, who grew up in Kennett. He's an actor in some place in, in Michigan or something, and he also preaches every once in a while. I saw him act. He's an incredible actor. And then I heard him preach, and I'm like, is this another act? Are you playing to me? I don't think he is, but I tell you, after watching him as an actor so often, and then to see him preach, and he has the same mannerisms, and I'm like, man, I don't know. You ever seen Jack Nicholson? Anybody ever seen Jack Nicholson? Uh, he, if he comes to Jonesboro and he's walking down the street, I'm going the other way. I think he's as evil as the parts he plays. I think he is so good that he is actually real. You know, cuckoo's nest stuff? You can't handle the truth! You know that? You know that one? And the Joker? You know all these roles that he plays that he's just... And that one, he's not even playing a role over here. That's just him. He looks like, like I think Satan looks. He's an actor who plays so well. I'm just like, man, I don't want to meet you. And you know what, what Jesus is saying is, is we get close to this when we start acting for each other. That we go home and our kids don't see the same thing. Talk about confusion. We don't want to be actors, and we don't want to be people playing parts. We don't want to be one way on a stage of church and another way on the stage of life. We want to be as real and genuine as we can. And when we come here, the only audience we're concerned about and the only eye we want on us is God's. It's not that we aren't aware of each other. We sing to one another. And the reason we worry about our clothes is for each other. Don't give me that story that we're worried about our clothes for God. God doesn't care. He's seen you naked, right? He doesn't care. This is for each other. So yes, we do consider each other, but that's not the I that we're concerned with. Notice verse 4 and verse 6 and verse 18. So your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He sees, and you know he sees. You know he's watching. Pray to your Father in secret, verse 6. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Your concern in this worship service is, what is God thinking of me? And what is he doing through what I'm doing to strengthen my resolve to be like him? You might go to a funeral because you're concerned about, not, you didn't even know the person, but you're concerned about a person who loved that person. And you don't care who else sees you, you go to that person. That's what you're doing here. You might go to a movie with your kids. Like those of you on the Avengers thing, I'm sorry, when a raccoon's talking, it just kind of loses something for me. And when the tree is fighting, and you've got the Guardians of the Galaxy in with Spider-Man? What is wrong with this picture? Everybody's like, you're okay with Spider-Man, but you don't like a talking raccoon. I get all that. 
But you know what? If your kids ask you to go for a family night, go with the kids and don't care about the movie. What difference does it make? Worship's like that. We want to be here with God. We want to please Him. Like that old 007 movie, For Your Eyes Only. When we engage in worship, engage in worship we only concern ourselves with one set of eyes, and that's our Father in heaven. And that makes everything easier. Now let me share with you one thing, one last thing from Hebrews chapter 11. Look at this verse. I want you to finish this for me. There are two qualifications, and I, want, I hope you know it. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't please him at all without faith. Now, for whoever would draw near, this is two things. Draw near is worship, but draw near is become like. It's both the same, and he uses worship for, to help us become like. For whoever would draw near to God must believe two things. What are they, church? He is, you must believe he exists, and number two, he rewards those who seek him. Now, there's going to be people tell you, don't go to church just for the reward. That is wrong. God says you can't draw near if you don't think I'm going to reward you. I want you aware of the reward. I want you to come to me for it. Don't tell me that God isn't into it. You, if you're going to draw near and you're going to effectively come into his presence and you're going to become like him, you better believe he's up there, he's existing, but you also better believe that he rewards those who seek. He wants you to expect and want and come after the reward. I want to tell you, I will not come to church even as the paid preacher. I will not come to church for anything less than what God's promised. You are not enough for me. Is that offensive? And I hope everybody came in here saying, you know what, I came in here for more than just sitting here for an hour. I don't want to just sing these songs. I don't care if you even like the songs. That is peripheral, completely. I want you to come in here and say, this has been provided for me, this has been established for me, we're doing exactly what God asked us to, but it's got to be more than that for you. It's got to be more, and you've got to say to yourself, I want more than just to sit through this whole thing, and I want more than just to sit at lunch and say, well, how was it? Well, it wasn't much for me. I want to come in here and know my life's been changed somehow and I won't come just for fun I want you to be that way what kind of rewards are you looking for there's three I can think of quickly we're going to go through these it's not going to take long I promise number one these acts of worship and righteousness will actually be validated by God to produce righteousness God promises this if you come and do what I ask I will come and fill your actions full of what it takes to have communion with me and make you more like me. You will leave different than when you came here. Because God is present, and he's asked you to do these things, and you've obeyed, and by doing that, it validates everything. Now, potentially, you can empty these things of any meaning whatsoever by just simply being here for other people. 
If your audience is just to make sure everybody sees you here and you're not even conscious of God, this becomes a mere act of ritual that is empty of any power at all. Two people can be sitting here, Mitchell right here and Randy right there. One of them leave more like God and the other one just sat here and did nothing. And it can happen. But these acts of righteousness are able to do this. Right here, right now. But secondly, it's this. And if you're paid in full, that's it. But look, these acts will actually have time release capability to function through the week. This is what's weird. When when God says, I will reward you, not just in the presence, but when you walk out of here, I will continue rewarding you for what you did. Sunday will come back to you in blessing on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. It will happen if you were here for the right reason. Time release. I was with Tony the other day. The anesth- my fellow anesthesiologist came in to talk to him. Did you all get that? No, because I've already done my job. I've already done it. Anesthesiologist puts somebody to sleep before surgery. And you're saying, yep, it worked on me about 20 minutes ago. I hear you. I hear you. So this anesthesiologist came in, and here's what he said. What I've given you to put you to sleep will continue doing its work for three days, and then it's going to wear out. This is time release. It's not all for right now. It's for right now, and it's for three days from now. And I want you to know, when you come in here and you do the worship God asked you to, and you do it with full audience of God, and you do it the right reason, for the next few days, it's going to time release. Now, here's what people are going to say, and I'm going to take up issue with one person. How can that work when I don't even remember your sermon past Tuesday? That's what they're going to ask. I can't even remember any of your past sermons. I get it. I don't remember some of them, but listen. Ask somebody who can no longer attend how important worship is. They can't get here because they can't get here. Ask them how important worship is. Secondly, I don't remember a single lesson planned day of my second grade class. I don't even remember my second grade teacher's name. Now, some of you will, but second grade, I don't remember a single day of class. I don't remember anything, but I can tell you this. Whoever it was did their job because I passed, and I made it all the way through high school and on and on. They did their job, but I can't remember a single lesson. I can't remember a single meal my mom made. I can't remember a particular day where I can remember everything. You ask me, what, on a Thursday night back in 1988, what did you? I don't know, but it did its job because I'm still here, quite here. What happens here matters. Serves you for the rest of the week. And compare yourself to someone who never comes and tell me there's a difference. Finally, these acts will will help you keep you close to God. And here's the deal. God wants to keep you close to him all through this journey so that when judgment day comes, you live with him forever. You will not live with God forever if you don't stay close to him throughout. So if you want to be there with him then, you need to be here doing this now. I have in my hand the award. The award of what you get for being here. You've done all the acts. They've been provided for you. I don't know what your level of involvement and engagement was. I don't know if it was in spirit and truth or not. I don't know if it was with your mind and spirit engaged. But here's what I want you to know. Here's the reward you get for being here today. It all matters to you. I can't answer that. But I know what was possible, and I hope you got it. And if you did, your day is blessed and your week will be too. If you need anything spiritually we can help you with, make it known to us now as we stand and sing to encourage you.